This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hey friends, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place where we tease apart what it means to be a conscious parent and a conscious human on the wild ride of parenting teenagers. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline lead trainer, parent coach, and mom walking the path right next to you as I imperfectly raise my own two teens. Joyful Courage is all about grit growth on the parenting journey, relationships that provide a sense of connection and meaning, and influential tools that support everyone in being their best selves. As you listen to today's show, pay attention to how grit shows up in the conversation. Also, if you're not already on my email list, what are you doing? I want to remind you again to join. I pop into my subscribers inbox with stories, podcast news, and offers every week. My hope is to make you laugh or at least relate and keep you updated on the Joyful Courage goodness. If you're into it, go to www.joyfulcourage.com email and sign up. Signing up now will get you the seven tips for connecting with your teens. I share seven tips over seven days that if you put into practice will make a difference in your relationship with your kids. Each day you will get an action step and a bonus step if you're feeling like an overachiever. Again, signing up for the email list at joyfulcourage.com slash email. Sign up and stay more connected. Thanks so much for listening. I'm deeply honored to lead you. I'm grateful that what I put out matters to you, and I am so excited to keep it coming. If you love this show, please take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Let your friends know you are listening and finding value in this podcast. Today, I am revisiting my conversation with Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart. Dr. Lockhart is a pediatric psychologist and board certified in clinical child and adolescent psychology. You may know her from her amazing content and reels that she puts out daily on Instagram. As the founder, president, and owner of A New Day Pediatric Psychology in San Antonio, Dr. Anne-Louise Lockhart is passionate about serving families in her local community, the state of Texas, and beyond. I am super honored to revisit this conversation with her today. Hi, Dr. Lockhart. Welcome to the summit. Thank you, Casey, for inviting me. 
I'm so glad that you're here. So we're going to discuss ADHD today. And I wanted to include this discussion in the mini summit because I hear from a lot of parents of teens who are struggling and can't seem to tease apart or are challenged by teasing apart how to be with their struggling teens in a way that's helpful and not hurtful. And I don't have a teen with ADHD, but I imagine it to be really challenging to separate what's typical teen behavior and what is ADHD getting in the way. Can you start by talking about your work and how you started working with families and kids with ADHD and how it shows up during the teen years? Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great question. And that's something that we uh, get questions a lot about either through therapy or through psychological testing and assessment for people to kind of figure out what's going on with their teen. Like, is this something that's normal? Is it hormonal? Is it anxiety? Is it ADHD? Is it a learning disability? There's so many things that look like ADHD. So how I like to conceptualize it is a rule out diagnosis. And what that means is that because so many things look like ADHD, when we look at it as a team in my practice and for myself as a clinician and even as a parent coach, I look to see, let's rule out anything else that maybe it's not. So, you know, was there a recent move? Was there a death in the family? Was there a birth? Was there Mm -hmm. trauma in some kind of way? Is there abuse? Is there substance issues going on? Are there grade and learning issues? Is there a new teacher? Is there bullying going on? Are they now sexually active? And are they boy or girl crazy? Like what what Mm -hmm. else stuff is going on? Because all of those things are all executive functioning issues in terms of self-control, time management, weighing the pros and cons of stuff, seeing your strengths and weaknesses, All of that are executive functioning issues, which ADHD is an executive functioning issue. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important to make sure we look at all of the quote unquote normal stuff that's going on in your life, some of Mm -hmm. the abnormal stuff, and then we can rule in, is there truly a diagnosis going on like ADHD or some other diagnosis completely different? Yeah. And what's the elevator pitch for ADHD? What exactly is it? Because I think those of us that aren't directly affected by it, it's just like, oh, kids that can't sit still and focus. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. And I get that a lot from teachers and parents who they're like, no, this kid is no way ADHD because they get straight A's. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. You could be extremely brilliant and still have ADHD. It is not an intelligence issue. Mm -hmm. So the pitch here for ADHD is that ADHD is an executive functioning dysregulation disorder. So everything that basically controls and dictates how we intake the world and how we interact with the world is slowed down in a way. It's not activating like it should be when it comes to ADHD. Mm -hmm. So when you have to start a task and complete it, when you have to manage your time, when you know how you're coming across to other people, when you're looking at your personality and decision-making, all of that stuff is ADHD. Mm -hmm. So it's really something that a child who's not neurotypical and is dealing in a world that is, Mm -hmm. then they're having to kind of figure out how do I manage my mind, my body, my thoughts, and my behaviors. So it's about all of that. It's about regulating your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors in a way that kind of makes sense for you and other people. It's all about regulation. So it's a regulation issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as I heard you say, how do I manage myself? That's the short version of what you just said. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, but but I'm also 
guessing like that in and of it's like asking that question in and of itself is a higher level question, yes. right? Because I right. think even adults, you know, spend so much of their time just managing themselves, but to step out and say, how am I? And how, how does this affect the world around me? And what can I do differently is even a, a bigger ask for adults, even let alone kids, right? Exactly. Because that in itself, how do I manage myself? That question is a self-monitoring. It's a Mm -hmm. meta, the big word for it is metacognition, Mm -hmm. knowing about your thoughts, thinking about your thinking. And, you know, we Mm -hmm. really don't really develop that until we're adults actually. And so when we're asking a teenager manage themselves and to know how they're coming across and understanding and realizing that they've just rolled their eyes at you or they have a tone when they talk to you or they're like every time you ask them a question yeah and then you're expecting them to know that and then you punish them for it right like that's kind of unfair because they don't really understand themselves that much and then we're asking them to do that i've read that adhd can look different in boys and girls is that accurate that is accurate so what is it talk a little bit about the differences there so in general of course it's there are always exceptions but in general boys tend to be categorized with adhd hyperactive impulsive type girls be diagnosed as adhd primarily inattentive type so there's three types of adhd Mm -hmm. hyperactive impulsive inattentive Mm -hmm. and combined okay okay so for boys the hyperactive impulsive type are the ones that really get noticed that's the one that gets a lot of airtime because they are very disruptive Mm -hmm. they're loud hyper they cause a lot of disruption in classrooms and in their homes because they're moving constantly it's like they're constantly being energized and they don't stop Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's the one that really wears teachers and parents out because of that And then the girls with the inattentive type, that one tends to go unrecognized and actually unnoticed for a long, long time because they don't cause all those behavioral disruptions and problems. They are just kind of off in their own land and they kind of look and they're labeled as ditzy, airheaded, not there, not present. But, you know, they're there, but they're also missing information just like the boy is who has the hyperactive impulsive type. They're just not getting it in the same way. So that's typically how they're often broken down. Mm-hmm. And then of course, of course, either one can have either diagnosis. Right, yeah. right. So I know a lot of you out there listening have younger kids as well as teenagers in the house. And I'm excited to share with you about a new show that you and your younger kids are going to love. It's called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and so much more. Math is geared towards kids ages six and up and can be enjoyed by the whole family. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for a car ride, mealtime, break times, or bedtime. Each is stacked with so much laughter that your kids won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Listen, I'm so excited to give you an update on Songfinch. Songfinch delivers. 
I shared last month that I was going to have them create an original song for Ian, my graduating senior. Well, the song is done and the process of co-creating it with the artist on Songfinch was so cool. I got to provide details and ideas and then the musician of my choice wrote up the lyrics, put it to the music that I picked and... The results are so cool. I can't wait to surprise Ian with it. I will be sure to record it and share it with all of you. Songfinch is an innovative service that lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people you love. It's completely unique, personal, and it lasts forever. After moving through their process, you get the final results in four to seven days. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free. So you and the lucky person you gift it to can listen to it anywhere, anytime. Whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, wedding, or anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care. Start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Go to songfinch.com slash joyful and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, which is a $50 value. Again, my URL is songfinch.com slash joyful. Don't forget to share your song with us too. songfinch.com slash joyful. Are there co-occurring conditions that accompany an ADHD diagnosis? Oh, definitely. So um, that's what a lot of clinicians call comorbid diagnosis. So many There's times- something about that word. It just, it just seems such like such a hopeless word. It does, comorbid. doesn't it? Morbid. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Right. So the comorbid or the co-occurring diagnosis, mm-hmm. which I think I agree with you sounds much more pleasant, um, is uh, so just like anxiety and depression tend to have, hang out together. They like mm-hmm. to kind of be besties. Mm-hmm. ADHD also have uh, diagnoses that go along with it. So so when you have a kid with ADHD, they will often also have oppositional defiant disorder, which is kind of a controversial one. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are kids who are more acting out, they're very disruptive, and they don't tend to respect people in authority. Okay. And do they so kind they, of have like an angry edge? Yes, they okay. do. These are kids who, they're not just testing authority, but they just seem like they're mad all the time. Okay. And so ADHD and ODD tend to co-occur a lot together. Mm-hmm. Uh, ADHD and learning disabilities tend to occur a lot together. And so that's why it can be missed often because they're missing information because of the inattention issue, mm-hmm. but also because of the ability issue. So okay. it could be like a math disability or a reading or learning disability in some way. Maybe it's a handwriting disability. So those two a lot together. And then anxiety and depression Mm-hmm. Also, because many of these kids realize that they're different, especially mm-hmm. if they get to school age, like nine, 10 years old, and they realize that they learn and think and act differently. They get in trouble more than their peers. So they beat themselves up a lot mm-hmm. and they tend to get very depressed. And mm-hmm. one kind of condition, it's not really a condition. It's, it's a term that people are really trying to push to actually go into our diagnostic manual mm-hmm. is a term that's called rejection sensitive dysphoria. It's a huge, big word. I wish they came up with something different, but <laughs> can you say that one more time? Yeah. Rejection sensitive dysphoria. Ah, so like the assumption that everybody's rejecting them, even if it's just a simple yes. 
requester. Exactly. So because these kids tend to get into a lot of trouble, they're always being corrected. They're always like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, sit still. Oh my gosh, pay attention. Oh my gosh, you never listen. They're always getting these messages all the time or the huffing and puffing from their parents all the time. Right. Or you're just this annoyed. They always feel like people are annoyed with them. And so kids with ADHD tend to feel rejected at a greater level, even if it's just perceived and not real. And they tend to take that rejection so much more personally that Mm -hmm. they are always in their head beating themselves up. And so that's why they are at a greater risk for depression and then also Mm -hmm. anxiety as well. So ADHD and anxiety tend to also uh, co-occur a lot together. And that's also a big issue. So, you know, as you can see, even if you rule in ADHD, Mm-hmm. There's also other things to be going on in addition to it that kind of clouds up the whole diagnosis as well. Yeah, that's annoying. Yeah, it is. <laughs> totally. Just deal with one thing at a time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it's oh, overwhelming. Heartbreaking. It's overwhelming. Yeah. It is. It's overwhelming for parents and for kids because they're like, oh, you know, this is what they have. And then they were like, oh. And, and for me, I don't like giving a ton of diagnosis to a kid. I, I just mm-hmm. don't. I think that's overwhelming for parents, for kids. But oftentimes the reality of it is that there's more than one thing going on because maybe the ADHD was the first thing mm-hmm. and then the other things kind of got piled on secondary to it. Yeah. 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 Because there's not like late onset ADHD. Is there, is ADHD something you show up wired? Um, yes and no. Okay. Talk so, about that a little. Okay. So that has changed over the years. So from since 1901, we've known about ADHD. It has been seen differently throughout the decades and century. Mm-hmm. But since 2013, then it changed slightly in terms of how okay. it was seen. Okay. So for about 100 years, um, ADHD was seen as something that was more of the behavioral stuff, some of the thought stuff that occurred by the time you were age seven. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have the symptoms by age seven, there's no way you could have ADHD. That's kind of the general look in terms of how it was viewed. Okay. And then in 2013, the new diagnostic manual was like, wait, 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 hold up. No, no. You can have the symptoms up until age 12. So now they've extended the age. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So by age 12, after age 12, if you don't have the symptoms, and then all of a sudden you have these things that look like ADHD, mm-hmm. then the thought is either it was missed before age 12 mm-hmm. or something else happened that caused you to have executive functioning issues. Mm-hmm. So that could be head trauma, could be mm-hmm. like a traumatic brain injury. Maybe there was a tumor in your head. Maybe there was, uh, you had some kind of chemo medication or mm-hmm. anti-seizure medication that changed the way your brain is functioning. So there are other things, or like when I worked with soldiers, when I was with the army and the air force, um, a lot of the air soldiers who've been through significant deployment under stress, not sleeping, moving away from home for the first time, many of them came in looking like they had ADHD, even if they didn't have a history of it because of the stress they were under. Yeah. Right. Because if your brain is under stress, sleep deprived, tired, overwhelmed, traumatized, it's going to show up as inattentive and forgetful and fidgety. Yeah. And I've even worked with a lot with, since I work a lot with kids with medical illnesses and issues, mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll see an adult who had cancer as a child. Mm-hmm. And then now they look like they have ADHD now because the chemo changes your brain. Yeah. You know, so it's such a complicated diagnosis. It's not very cut and dry at all. And 
Um, the thing is that there is no late onset, but the right. thing is once you get it, you have it. So right. you can quote unquote outgrow the hyperactive impulsive type, mm -hmm. but the inattention tends to stick. Right. Yeah. But you can also develop that metacognition piece too and start yes. to recognize. Yes, when you're, exactly. Okay. Right. That's why, you know, when people just get on the medication, although medication for ADHD can be really effective, mm -hmm. the problem though, is that if you're not learning skills, mm -hmm. then you're not really helping yourself because you have to learn the skills to help your executive functioning. Yeah. So that you can be more in control. So at the top, I mentioned, you know, the challenge of a teen with ADHD plus just the teen brain development. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> those two things coexisting at the same time. And, you know, you and I both talk a lot about positive parenting. We're both kind of under the umbrella of relationship-based parenting. Mm -hmm. And so the tools and skills there, at least what I, you know, the things that I talk about with parents are making an agreement and um, natural consequences, but also a lot of encouragement along the way. And well, now I'm making an assumption in my mind. I'm assuming that with ADHD, so actually I'll just ask the question, is ADHD something that when parents come to you and get help for ADHD, is it more, because I've heard that it requires more of kind of a behaviorist approach, like that immediate reward or consequence to support the kids in knowing and perhaps developing that metacognition? I don't know. Yeah. Is that accurate yeah sort of, <laughs> sort of because uh it's a lot of what they focus on is behavior modification which is which right. is what you're asking about right yes so yes there is a lot of behavior modification in terms of praise rewards and consequences the problem though with adhd is mm. that that tends to die out very quickly and not okay. even that's the problem okay yeah, well, so that's you, the problem in general, right? With yes, behavior it is. theory. <laughs> it is, it is, is that it can be effective, but you're still dealing with the surface, right? Yeah, so if yeah. you want to help someone stop biting their nails, and if you want to potty train a kid and you want to help someone sleep through the night, you can do a lot of behavioral stuff and it can be mm -hmm. extremely effective. But if you don't get to the root of what's right. really going on, then you're not really dealing with the issue, right? Right. So for ADHD, the problem is that you say, okay, make up your bed and you remind them to make up their bed and you have a chart to make up their bed and you have a visual schedule to make up their bed. And all of those can be really good. And then you give them, here's a quarter, here's a token, here's a chip. Right. And then after a while, especially with ADHD, because consequences are very short lived, they don't remember mm -hmm. very well, then they're always expecting, I do this, you give me this. Right. Or you know what? I don't really want that anymore. So I'm exactly. just going to do my own thing. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. care about your dumb chip. I don't really yeah. care about the reward. And then Quit insulting me with those stickers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now jump ahead and now we're in the teen years. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, I, I know from my experience of being a t parent of teenagers, how easy it is to slide into the behaviorist mindset, even as I've had, you know, 15 years of my own study and my own teaching uh -huh. around a, a, a different lens of seeing parenting and relationship out of, but the stakes feel so high yeah. once they're teenagers. And then layer, like I said, layering on the ADHD, what are some of the things that parents are coming to you about as far as what's ADHD and what's typical teen behavior? And what do you have to support parents in knowing the difference, if that's possible? Yeah, it is. The thing is that they are, they look the same and they're 
kind mm-hmm. of the same-ish um, because with a teen, they are, for the first time, because a big developmental task during the teen years is to become your own individual, right? Yeah. It's, it's becoming your own autonomous, independent individual who thinks separately and differently from your parents. And for a lot of parents, that's really hard for them, especially if they had a really close relationship with their yes. teen when they were a child. And then all of a sudden they have political and religious and school and environmental views that are totally different than their parents and how they were raised. And a lot of parents have a hard time with that because they're like, well, we didn't raise you this way. This is not how you're supposed to think. And what about our close relationship? Where did that go? And so a lot of teen behaviors that are typical, what happens is that when you pile ADHD on top of that with the dysregulation issue Mm -hmm. is now they're having the thought and they're just saying it Mm -hmm. and they have no kind of feels like filter and they're kind of voicing things or they're having a hard time maintaining and regulating their space. So a big thing, for example, in the teen years that I hear about from parents a lot is like keeping their room clean, Mm -hmm. which seems like such a little issue, but it's a big source of contention for a lot of parents and or, you know, not putting away things, not taking responsibility, not wanting to do the chores. So all of those are typical kind of teen stuff. But when you pile ADHD on top of that, it's the constant reminders not remembering how to, how to do it or not remembering to do it or not wanting to do it because a big thing with ADHD is task mm-hmm. initiation. That is a huge um, executive functioning skill that is often lacking and is the most problematic one for people with ADHD. Task initiation, is that what you said? Yes. So starting something. Okay. Like it's such a basic thing. It's like, okay, I told you to do the dishes. Oh, I don't want to do the dishes. It takes forever because Mm -hmm. then now you pile time management on top of that and self-monitoring. They think that washing that one cup and two plates are going to take forever. So (laughs) even starting it (laughs) is a beast. And I actually read this article from Attitude Magazine and they talked about how task initiation with ADHD has been shown to actually be physically painful for people with ADHD. Oh, like man. Like it hurts to start something. So, oh my gosh, I don't want to start my big project. It's like physically pains me to put my fingers on the keyboard to start. Like it's pain yeah. for them mentally and physically. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God, spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first First box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month 
while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. So how do you support parents? Because I mean, even like I said, my I don't we don't have an ADHD diagnosis at my house, but I know that moan. I know that moan and groan yes. of like, oh, <laughs> really? I'm like, yeah, it's one plate and one like literally I'm thinking right. upstairs on the coffee table is one plate and one <laughs> cup from last night. <clears throat> so how do you um, encourage parents to be with that in a way yeah. that is helpful for their teens? So a big thing that I talk about on my Instagram page and Facebook as well is to not focus on fighting battles or actually not choosing a battle. We always hear, you know, choose your battles, choose your battles. And I, I kind of challenge that in the sense that, you know, no, there, there is no battle. Um, mm -hmm. Choose the relationship instead. Yes. And although, yes, a clean room and doing the dishes when you're supposed to and taking out the trash, although those would be beautiful and wonderful. The problem is that every time you fight this battle, every mm -hmm. time you think you, quote, have won the war because I got them to take out the trash, now they're, you know, seeing you as the mean parent mm -hmm. that they can't talk to you about anything because you're always having this scowl on your face. Now you've just created this separation between you and your team. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why they don't want to talk to you and have their earbuds in all the time because mm -hmm. they feel like you're always mad at them, that you're always nitpicking and nagging over every little thing. And yes, the clean room would be beautiful mm -hmm. and them doing what they're supposed to be doing when you tell them would be awesome. But the problem though, is that in the midst of that, when are you actually having a good relationship with your kid? Mm -hmm. And so a big thing that I try to help parents with, which is, I think a big part of this is you're changing your parent mindset is that, yes, we want to teach them a set of skills that's preferable and that's ideal for their future life. So they're not living as bums on the street. We totally get that. Yeah. But the changing your mindset about what your child is capable of doing and what is more important, is their mm -hmm. clean room more important or is your relationship with them more important? And so that's a hard thing for parents. So they're like, so I have a good relationship and they have a messy room. Like, no, no, no. Stop thinking about it that way. <laughs> right. Either or, right? It's not either, either or. or. It's not an either or situation. So yeah. what it is, is that we have to develop more co-regulation with our kids, meaning we have to sometimes do more for them 
or with them, alongside them in collaboration with them. Because with ADHD, many times they are mentally unable to do many of the things that we're asking them to do. Mm -hmm. Now, a key thing we haven't talked about yet, which I think is important with this, is that kids with ADHD are two to three years developmentally more immature than their same aged peers. Hmm. So kids, for example, if you have a 14-year-old with ADHD, you're, you're actually, although they're 14, they might actually be operating as an 11 or 12-year-old developmentally, not intellectual or intelligence, but in terms of developmental. And is that across the board, like developmentally yes. inside of relationship, inside of yes. task completion, all across? All okay. across. So, you know, even expecting a 14-year-old who might be, say, in eighth grade mm-hmm. to sit through a long lab for an hour and a half, for example, yeah. um, would you expect an 11-year-old to be able to do that? Mm. Or you're expecting a 16-year-old to be able to get their driver's license. Well, they're actually like a 13-year-old. Would you really oh, expect God. that? <laughs> Right? (laughs) So you see see a lot of traffic violations, a lot of accidents, a lot of carelessness, Mm -hmm. because it's, I mean, to regulate yourself while driving, being in class, social relationships, even like playing a game to know how to, even the the back and forth, the give and take of a conversation, Mm -hmm. um, they're more immature in all of those areas. And so when you expect, say, a 14-year-old to know how to clean their room, And yeah, you might expect an 11 year old to know how to do that. The problem then is then you're piling on all the executive functioning stuff, even Mm -hmm. starting it. Organization is another executive functioning issue. So how do I even start? My room is a mess. Where do I even start? So they're overwhelmed. So then they're going to end up just shoving everything under their bed in their closet because they don't even know where to start. It's just an overwhelming task. So then to preserve the relationship, we need to go alongside them Mm -hmm. and do it with them. Mm-hmm. so that we're not angry with them and we're not communicating anything negative. We're just saying, hey, you need more help with this and I want to support you in this process. So the dots that I would connect with a typically developing kid would be working on building relationship outside of task and yes. then task shows up and because we have a solid relationship, they're going to be the likelihood that they'll be easygoing around like, hey, let's do this together increases. Would that be the same with an ADHD team? Yes, like, totally. So they they will be, so the idea of banking like like the relationship bank and not I want everyone to hear me like this is not a manipulation tool. It's not no. like oh I'm just going to keep depositing and then they're going to do what I want. So no. everybody, that's not what I'm talking about here. But really like taking the time to be with and to be in connection and be in relationship with our kids. And I think too like because. Let's remember all of us that we are not perfect. We're imperfect humans. And I know those of you out there living with kids who are experiencing ADHD and all the other things that go along with it, it's hard to keep your shit together mm-hmm. and your lid's going to flip and it's going to be challenging. And the more that you've worked on relationship, the easier it'll be to, to repair when you have kind of lost it on your on your teen and, and come back into relationship. Would you agree with that? Oh, I, I totally agree with that. Because it's not the same as when people say things like, oh, my son was so sweet to me and he made me breakfast in bed and he cleaned up the kitchen and he did all these things and he said, hey, can I have $100? Or hey, can I have, you know, the... the right. like, <laughs> I was like, who does that? Right. So the parents feel that way is that, oh, if I'm doing all these things and I'm building a relationship, right. then he's going to want to do something for me. It's not now about that. Now you owe that. me. No, yeah. right. It's not about that. It's about doing it simply because you love and care for your child. 
that you're maintaining yeah. that relationship because the relationship is much more important than the clean room. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that these teens can feel incredibly discouraged. Like you oh, yeah. some of the things that you mentioned living in a world with rules that simply don't support their operating system, not to mention all the years of messages they've received and perceived about their worth and how they fit. So what are some openings that parents can create? Because I I imagine too, that the conversation about the ADHD could be by the time they're teenagers, like, don't talk to me about this anymore. You Mm -hmm. know, especially if they're feeling discouraged, if that relationship bank isn't what it could be. What are some openings that parents can create for talking about tools and strategies that would be helpful for their kids? So I think one of the things I find most helpful is that although by the time I see them as teens Mm -hmm. and they know they have ADHD and they've been living with it for quite some time, is that they don't really understand what ADHD is. I've found that 100% of the time (laughs) is that whenever I've seen a a teenager come in with their parent Mm -hmm. and they say, oh yeah, I have ADHD, causes me problems. I'm like, "Mm, let's talk about that some more. Right. They see it as such a negative thing. We look at ADHD and it's like this negative diagnosis. I don't see it as negative. Mm -hmm. And I I find that many times parents and, and teenagers are misinformed because yeah, I mean, why would they have known anything? They just get a diagnosis. They get some medication if they do. Or they mm-hmm. are just told, I now have this IEP, this individual mm-hmm. educational plan at school to have accommodations, and that's all it is. And so what I think is the best in for parents and teens is to truly be educated on what ADHD is, mm-hmm. where it is in the brain, and how it impacts them. I think that's the best place to start. Yeah. Are there good resources for that as far as like delivery methods? <laughs> Yeah. So um, one would be my ebook. So I did a, a mm-hmm. book on ADHD for parents, um, basically called You Are Not Alone. It's a comprehensive guide for parents of kids with ADHD. So I do a awesome. lot in terms of bringing all that stuff together. Okay. Um, but I'll I have think- a link for that in the summit. So everybody yes. will get to see that. Great. Um, and so I had go into a lot of the detail in terms of how to discuss and, and what that looks like in the brain. I oh, think perfect. another good resource is um, Dr. Becky Bailey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, She's an educator on conscious discipline. Mm-hmm. And uh, she has some hilarious and great resources and books on exactly that. Perfect. Yes. Great. Yes. Becky Bailey, I've heard of her. Yes. Another is- one, though, would be um, Rebecca Brandstetter. Okay. She does a lot of stuff on executive functioning, and she looks at it more in terms of an executive functioning issue, Mm -hmm. um, really going into detail about how to deal with that. So Rebecca Brandstetter, she's a psychologist as well. And Mm -hmm. those are some really good resources in terms of really understanding executive functioning and ADHD and then how to feel more equipped in a way that's written that's easy to understand. Great. Yeah. What would you say that teens with ADHD need most from their parents? They need a relationship. Mm-hmm. They need a strong relationship to understand that they have flaws, as do the parents, mm-hmm. and to feel like they are unconditionally loved. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's interesting. A few um, months ago, my team and I, we had had met because we were talking about we were getting a lot of teens coming in with anxiety and with ADHD, and we kept feeling like, okay, what do these parents need? What do these teens need? And so we all went out. We tasked ourselves with let's look on the internet, let's look at blogs and podcasts and research and books and everything um, to see what what is it? And so we gathered all this information. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the basic underlying themes that we kept finding across the board from like people who are in academics in research, as well as people who were writing blogs and podcasts and their own experiences. Mm-hmm. The thing we saw consistently across the board was what teens need 
is to feel unconditional love, to be respected by their parents, to feel like um, their parents are also vulnerable with them so that mm-hmm. the parents are also sharing their struggles that they had as a teen that they don't feel because a lot of times they feel like their parents come across as I've been perfect and I was an amazing teen. <laughs> well, I've checked that box. So yeah, my kids know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, wow, look at all of this research, quote unquote, that we're looking from all these like right. scholars and people who are like living the life. And the basic thing that these kids need is love, respect and vulnerability yeah. and a relationship. So that's what they need. It's like, it's, it's not, it's literally not rocket science. Like it's not anything deep that we have to keep looking at every resource out there. That's the basic thing that they need. They want to be connected to their parents. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like they matter. Like they're not this big, annoying, you know, irresponsible person that no one really wants around. Like they don't, nobody wants to feel that way. Right. So if someone is listening right now and feeling as though, either they haven't looked for help before or are ready to maybe change up the experience that they're having. What advice do you have for finding a provider that's going to be the most effective? Because I'm listening to you, but I'm also aware that there are providers who rely heavily on the behavior modification lens. And um, so what are some things that parents can do when looking for a team of providers for their teenager? So I think because we have so many more resources at our disposal than we ever used to is that, you know, people think that they keep having to go the traditional route of finding a child psychiatrist or a child psychologist. Mm-hmm. Now, although I am a psychologist and I believe that that could, there could be some benefit to it, you also want to make sure that you're connecting with a provider whose philosophy is in line with your family and cultural values as well, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that whoever you look for, if you're going to look on the psychologist route, for example, Mm-hmm. is, you know, you can go to something, someplace like Therapy Den or Psychology Today mm-hmm. and look for someone in your area who believes in, in an approach that's beyond just behavior modification, that's more relationally based. Mm-hmm. And many times I have to actually call and talk to them and ask them those things. What is your approach when working with teens with ADHD? And actually ask them that question. Right. But in many ways, what might be a more beneficial approach, especially because a lot of us as psychologists, especially if we've been, the the individual has been licensed for a while, the way that they've been trained is very different than the way that they, is in a more traditional approach. So many Mm -hmm. of them are not going to be doing what we're talking about today. Yeah. So sometimes the, uh, sometimes a more effective approach might be actually finding a parent coach Mm-hmm. who is someone who might have the education in terms of the specific training, mm-hmm. or they may just have the experience or both. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's the same process where you're looking for someone, looking to see what their philosophy is, looking to see what their website or their Instagram talk about, and then making sure that it's kind of along with your philosophy in, in regards to looking at your child with ADHD and your teen. And then actually then again, asking them, what is their approach what do they believe in terms of that and how they can help you? And so I think that's a big part. It's going to have to be a lot of legwork on your part, but mm-hmm. I think it's going to be important to find someone who's going to be a good fit because this mm-hmm. is someone you're going to be sharing a lot of personal information with and where you want to make sure that you're seeing a you know, good improvement over time. Yeah. And don't be afraid to change it up if you start exactly. off with someone and find that it's not a good fit. Exactly. Oh, thank you for the work that you do. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's a tell thing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Will you share with the listeners where they can find you and follow you? 
Yes, definitely. So I am on Instagram at dr.annelouise.lockhart. So I know there's going to be a link here as well, too. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Ann Louise Lockhart. And also on Facebook at A New Day Pediatric Psychology, which mm -hmm. is my business name. And then my website is uh, www.anewdaysa, as in San Antonio.com. All right, friends, thanks again for listening. I hope you loved that interview. Don't forget, you can get the seven tips for connecting with your teens, as well as podcast updates and offers from Joyful Courage, plus some humorous stories straight from the trenches of my life by joining my email list, joyfulcourage.com slash email. Do it now so we can be even more connected. Also, be sure to follow me in all the places. I love connecting with you on social media. Whew. Okay, friends, take a deep breath. Ride it into your body. Find your balcony seat for perspective and trust that everyone is going to be okay. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 